It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show on this important Tuesday. We have Mike Huckabee standing by, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour, recovering from that motorcycle accident. It looks great, uh, doing great as he tries to, uh, I guess, deal with everyone else in Texas dealing with a resurgence of this uh, COVID-19 virus and making sure people do not overreact uh, this time. Uh, today, there is going to be a briefing from Anthony Fauci and Robert Redfield and Brett uh, Garor of the HSS, as well as Stephen uh, Hahn of the FDA. It's going to be in front of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. If we get some news coming out of that, uh, that'll be starting shortly. Uh, we'll be sure to bring it to you. And we'll take your calls. And just let me remind you, you could get this podcast, if you can't hear us live, uh, many ways, including iHeartRadio. Uh, it's just starting over the last two weeks. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If it's true, we absolutely need to run it to ground, and there should be consequences for Moscow. But at the same time, one just has to ask, why now? Why are they making such an issue of it right on the heels of, of running into you know a national election? Uh, that is, of course, Michael Waltz, uh, Green Beret turned congressman. Russian redux. How the latest report from Russia paying the Taliban bounties to kill Americans is missing the mark. The message all sides should be taking from the New York Times anonymously sourced story is we have to have a semblance of presence in Afghanistan because the Russians will take over if we leave. Number two. Everybody wants to say it was a few people hanging out at bars that caused this. That's not true. Listen, Texas has been reopening since May 1st. Everything was declining as a, as a result. Cases were declining. This spikes happened after tens of thousands of people got together in close proximity. That's just the truth. It did. And don't tell me the riots didn't play a role. COVID-19 restrictions revisited state by state, city by city. Governors are reissuing restrictions, blaming socializing, not protesting for the surge. I don't accept that. Number one. What's much more important is that this neighborhood is not under siege and that there are not people being victimized. There are multiple people who are being injured and hurt. And we need to do something about it. Really? You are the state police chief, the Seattle police chief, Carmen Best. You do something about it and let the mayor make you do something about it because this is an international embarrassment. We'll bring you city to city. Chaos is taking root. Law enforcement is being blamed and, yes, defunded. And that's when I bring bring in uh, Governor Mike Huckabee. Governor, uh, we have a lot to cover. First off. It is no longer a theory or a catchphrase. It's happening. A billion dollars from the NYPD. $143 million for the LAPD. Minneapolis is forming a peace force and officers are retiring. The role of local government in stopping or igniting this trend. What is it? The craziness of all of this, Brian, is just stunning to me. And you have people in neighborhoods who now, when they call 911, nobody comes because there's nobody there. And it's only going to get worse. So what you saw in St. Louis with a couple uh, who have been just vilified for protecting their property and their lives, 
But this is where we're headed, where everybody better arm themselves and be prepared to be their own police force, because there may not be one that comes and protects them when a mob decides to burn their house down and kill them and even their family pets as they threaten. Uh, I know. It's a serious deal. Uh, I know. And for example, in this autonomous zone, which is just this to me is a gift for the president, bad for the country, a gift for the president, because he could honestly say this is okay with liberal mayors and governors, and this is what will run rampant along with sanctuary countries if you allow a regime change to take place. Listen to these protesters. Cut one. Violence is being brought to this place, and we as a community are concerned. They got to shut this down. This is not... This I don't know what this is now. This done turned into something else now. I'm sorry, but this needs to come to an end, period. It is drawing a certain type of violence there, and it needs to be it needs to be shut down. And what they are is the original people who wanted change with policing. They've been pushed out. They don't even recognize the people on the inside. Two people, young black teens, were killed last night. And the mayor does nothing, and the police chief cries she can't get in. Brian, this is uh, this is the surrender of a major city to thugs and anarchists. And I don't know how in the world she continues to even call herself a mayor. Uh, you know, she tried to couch this in terms that it was a festival. Hey, this ain't your grandma's uh, chicken and dumplings dinner at the church. This is a, a group of people who violently want to take over a city, hold the people of that community hostage and wreak havoc both in terms of the destruction of physical property and the total dereliction of duty when it comes to protecting people's personal safety. I do think the president has a great opportunity to show the contrast because the Democrats are silent. Uh, They're missing in action when it comes to what to do about this. And the only ones who are speaking up are the lunatics like Bill de de Blavio, as I call him, uh, whose own wife said we ought to get rid of the police department completely. Let me mention something. Ami Horowitz, who's a filmmaker, went into New York and he interviewed all these white protesters who claimed that they care more about black people than the black people do. And what they said was to a person, get rid of the police. We don't need a police. Get rid of all of them. Shut it down. Then he went into Harlem and he talked to the people who lived in Harlem, black people, every one of whom said, no, we need the police force. No, it's important to have police. We have to have a good police force. But this stuff of getting rid of the police is crazy. Those are the people who actually live where these uh, activists, white people, like to destroy their safety and their security. To tell you how stupid it is, and it's all linked. In St. Louis, for example, not only are they having some problems there, but they're trying to take down Louis XIV's statue in Forest Park. He's a Catholic, uh, and the Catholics stood up to them in this Forest Park. I don't know the area, but King Louis XIV was being uh, was put there uh, by the Catholic, the local Catholic church in that area, and they had to rally around to protect this statue. So they're attacking religious figures. They're demanding that any Jesus statue uh, or depiction has to that shows him white should also be taken down. Catholic statues should be taken down. Ulysses S. Grant should be taken down. Last night in in New York City, they uh, in Washington Park, that big arch everyone's seen. If you go to NYU, they spray painted red the Washington statue and the arch. Does this concern you as an American? 
Well, on two fronts. Number one, it shows me they don't understand their history and don't appreciate it and are totally ungrateful for the country they live in. They may, may need to pick one out they'd rather be in. And we'll buy them a ticket one way, and they can go to wherever they think they can be more free and where they can get away with this kind of uh, craziness. Maybe they'd like to try China. Maybe they'd like to try Russia. There are a lot of places, North Korea, Venezuela. Let's see how it goes over when they decide to do the things they're doing. But the second reason it concerns me is that if there are monuments or flags or whatever it may be that people now in, in our woke society decide we don't want anymore, then take them down to the same process that they went up. If the city council put it up, then the city council should vote to take it down. It ought to be done in an orderly way by the elected representatives of the people, not by a group of uh, thugs who form a mob and decide to take the law in their own hands. And here's what I'd like to challenge the people on the left. If it's okay for these mobs to take the law in their own hands, then how can you possibly say it would be wrong for the people defending their homes and their property and their lives to take the law in their hands? I, I see a double standard. A couple comes out of their home in St. Louis, and, and they're John Dillinger. But the mobs who come breaking through a gate to get to their house, they're just a group of 500 peaceful protesters who busted down a gate in a private community and went up and threatened private homeowners. It makes no sense. The left has lost their minds, and we're about to lose our country. Right. And you're talking about the McCluskeys uh, who realized they had broken through their fence and they, they had guns, the, the husband and wife. They're both lawyers. And their statement from their attorney is this. At the time, there was fear. These people, too, in particular, that were marching along with the Black Lives Matter protest participants were all peaceful. They were acting in a fashion. Uh, they were acting in a fashion that was inconsistent with that message being given. My clients were not arming themselves against peaceful protesters. They were arming themselves about people with a really bad motive. That's Al Watkins, the attorney for Mark and Patricia McCluskey. And we'll cover that later. I know you have a documentary called 2024, Trump 2024, The World After Trump, uh, After Trump documentary. We'll talk about that in a second. I want to talk about Trump 2020. And I think right now his election, re-election, uh, is in recalibration mode. And if it's not, he's going to lose. And I thought once, and when people come out that want to see him reelected, say this, I think it's noteworthy. Here's Mick Mulvaney, former acting chief of staff, cut 39. I think Chris's, I think Governor Christie's criticism there is, is accurate. I would, uh, I, I disagree subtly on one component of it when he said that people are moving to Joe Biden. I don't think that's true. I think they're moving away from Donald Trump. And those, that, that's an important distinction. Um, that I don't think Biden is doing much of anything. I think what you're seeing in the national polls, which Chris is right, they're not, they're not that important, but they do show general trends, um, is that folks are, are voicing their displeasure with the way the president has, uh, has uh, handled um, COVID and the Black Lives Matter uh, riots and, and, and uprisings in the last couple of weeks. So he's being blunt. Uh, he's losing. You agree? I think that uh, Mulvaney and Christie are essentially right. I do think it's far from over. I think the president has plenty of time for course correction. But he can't just uh, let the ship steer by itself. He's got to grab the rudder, and he's got to take control. And he's got to take control in a way that gives balance between uh, recognizing a sense of empathy for people who are truly aggrieved, but also standing up strongly and unapologetically uh, to this whole mob violence that we're seeing. Uh, but the president, the most important thing he has to do, Brian, he has to focus on the things that offend people, not the things that offend him. 
Uh, nobody cares that he's been insulted. Nobody cares that the press is unfair to him. What they care about is how the world is working against them. And he needs to once again get on that white horse that he was on in 2016 and be the champion for the little guy, the guy that lost his job in the factory, the guy that has an unsafe neighborhood, that single mom who's afraid that her kids are never going to go to a decent school. He needs to be the voice that's fighting for the people, not fighting for his own slights. That's what he has to focus on over these next few months. I, I love the way you put that, you know, and because the president said, well, why is this? You know, you have a case, but nobody cares because we have 14 percent unemployment and people are concerned about their own welfare. And part of his base are seniors and they vote and they feel in a way right or wrong. They've been left out to dry and die. How do you change that? I, I think he changes it mostly by the manner in which he communicates. Uh, whether it's his Twitter feed, whether it's his speeches. And, of course, the problem is the only place that his speeches get heard are Fox News because the other cable channels refuse to run them, which is a problem for him. But he may have to buy network time and go directly to the people. But he has to explain to them that he is fighting for them and that when he stands up against China, he's standing up for them and for their grandchildren. He has to take a bold stand on health care and say that he's not going to let drug companies charge him $20,000 for a drug that shouldn't cost more than 50 bucks. There are things that seniors care about and that moms care about, and that's a group of people he can win back, but he has to talk about the things that matter to them. And frankly, some insult that some MSNBC goon said about him, that just doesn't matter to grandma or to, to uh, the single mom out there raising three kids. Have you told him that? Haven't had the opportunity, but if I do, I will. And I have tried to communicate it through others, and, and I will continue to say it. But, you know, he's got to make up his mind that this is the right thing to do. He's not a dumb guy. Brian, you know him very well, but probably better than me, and I've known him for a long time. But he's a smart guy, but he does like to, uh, to carry out his ideas. I'm just hoping that what I've just shared, uh, I'm not saying I'm right and he's wrong, but I hope that he will hear many of us, including his former chief of staff and, and the people who love him. And quite frankly, people like me that want him to win because I think it's necessary uh, for the country's future for him to win and to not let these leftist lunatics like Joe Biden and all of the uh, socialists get control of the economy, get control of the police forces. Because I'm not sure America can survive if we become more like Venezuela than we do uh, like the rest of America. So so this Trump, tell me about this documentary. Well, I'm not the producer. I'm simply one of the people who was interviewed for it. But it's, uh, it's a documentary that talks about how important this election is and specifically how important it is that, uh, that Christians who really have deep convictions about things like life in Israel and uh, religious liberty, how this election is a just linchpin of uh, critical decision time because if you look at what's happening, where if you believe that people like Gretchen Whitmer, who tell churches, you can't open, but Walmart, you can't. So this is a trend that we're seeing, an anti-hostile Christian message. People can get information on the film by going to Trump2024.film. Uh, a host of people are in the film, Tony Perkins, Alveda King, uh, Jerry Boykin, a, a lot of folks who give their perspectives. But I think it's a very powerful, insightful view as to what we look like in 2024 without 
President Trump's reelection and what we look like with it. But let me just say the most important thing I see on the horizon is that we have a growing group of left wing Democratic office holders from mayors, governors, uh, senators and beyond yep. who who believe that it's safe to go to Walmart and walk around and rub shoulders with hundreds of people. But if you go to church, you're going to kill somebody. And that is gotcha. frightening. Governor Mike Huckabee, great conversation. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, go to Trump2024.com for the GoFundMe page. Thanks, Governor. Um, great to talk to you. When we come back, your calls one 408 7669 Then we'll turn to Colonel Alan West about this Russia investigation. It's Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Everybody wants to say it was a few people hanging out at bars that caused this. That's not true. Listen, Texas has been reopening since May 1st. Okay, we've been getting back to normalcy since May 1st, and everything was declining as a, as a result. Cases were declining. Uh, this spikes happened after tens of thousands of people got together in close proximity. I, again, th- there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's, that's just the truth, and we're just dealing with it now. It's not, it's not about blaming anybody. It's just about being honest with, with causes and effects. Uh, and that is Dan Crenshaw talking about the rising cases in Texas and some of the reaction because of that. So you got law enforcement that's altering the way uh, we view our streets and the way we should view our streets because of the safety issues. And then you have the COVID impact, which is uh, getting substantial again. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Uh, we know this. Uh, Anthony Fauci says Americans have to buckle down and show more restraint. But 
You're not allowed to go to the beach after three months. You're not allowed to go out to a restaurant after four months. You're not allowed to do, I guess, Arizona governor has shut down bars, gyms, and theaters. New York hasn't even opened up gyms yet. Uh, You have uh, Governor Cuomo says, I might be delaying phase three in New York. In Oregon, they're now required to wear a mask. In Kansas, they order uh, everybody to wear a mask in public. Uh, They also reimpose restrictions on state businesses. Uh, In San Diego, they're closed. This is devastating for July 4th. Closing all bars, wineries, and breweries because they hit a new high in positive cases. Texas bar owners are beginning to sue to overturn the closures. In Arizona, they're hosting a summer fest. uh, After a town hosted a summer fest without masks, uh, they got in trouble. And now people are going to crack down on them. Arizona is getting to be a hot spot. So now they're going to have a lot of things taken away. Unbelievable. This is endless. And I think people are going to begin to rebel big time because people are getting it, but they're surviving. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why wasn't it escalated to an in-person brief versus just a physical document? And now I, I can't confirm or, or, or deny whether it was in the PDB, but this would be um, information that should get escalated to the senior levels of, of government. And, they, and, and even if there was some kind of question about intelligence like something like this, then you would still you know, put caveats uh, around the information. That was Will Hurd, former CIA guy, turned uh, Texas congressman will be retiring after this year, doing something else, I hope. Um, so he was talking about the big story in The New York Times over the weekend, picked up and moved forward, that said the president was briefed about Russians paying a bounty to Taliban to kill our guys. Now, the numbers of our guys, we have one's too many, but we suffered 10 deaths in 2018, 16 in 2019, and only two this year. The Taliban said, hey, until recently, we were doing this on our own, trying to kill you guys. And the Russians vehemently denied it. What else do you expect them to do? Uh, Zamir Kabul says that's an outright fake story uh, that even the Trump administration has denied. So they also used an expletive to describe it. Now, this has since moved forward to say this was in the president's brief in February, but there was a counterargument to it, so it wasn't verbally briefed to the president. Is it a problem? Will Hurd thinks so. What about Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, senior fellow with the Media Research, Media Research Center, author of We uh, Can Overcome, an American Black Conservatives Manifesto, most importantly taking most of his time now, he is trying to become the, the Texas GOP chair, westfortexas.com. Colonel? Do you what do you think happened here? Well, it's good to be with you again, Brian. And I can tell you what happened here. There are elements of this thing that has been called the deep state that is leaking classified information out there for political purposes. And this has been continuing on all the way through the first term of the Trump administration. So I think that's what we have to be concerned about is the continued leaking of classified information, uh, if it is, you know, valid uh, information for political purposes. Because why why else is this uh, all of a sudden coming out at this point in time if it weren't for 
political purposes. And, and then again, let's understand something. We were supporting the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union back in 1979 to 1989 during the Soviet-Afghan War. So if anyone is going to say it's a massive revelation that Russia would be supporting the Taliban or insurgents against us in Afghanistan, come on, wake up. I mean, this if anyone that understands geopolitics and foreign policy and, and support to adversaries knows that this is the type of thing that happens all the time. Here is what Joe Biden said. Cut 25. He had has this information, according to the Times, and yet he offered to host Putin in the United States and sought to invite Russia to rejoin the G7. He's in, his entire presidency has been a gift to Putin. It's a betrayal of every single American family with a loved one serving in Afghanistan or anywhere overseas. And I'm quite frankly outraged by the report. Should he be? Uh, no, because Joe Biden was right there when Barack Obama was sending MREs and socks to the Ukrainians when they were asking for support against the incursion of Russia paramilitaries into their country. So Joe Biden has no moral high ground whatsoever. If you want to talk about anyone that has stood stronger against Vladimir Putin, it has been President Trump. When you look at the uh, amount of the preposition of A-10 fighter aircraft tank busters, you look at the uh, pro providing of uh, anti-tank missile systems, and then also the fact that you have had more deployments, American troops going into the Ukraine and also into the Baltic states uh, as, a, as a, uh, a means by which we, we put a buttress against Russian incursion. So again, this is just political grandstanding. It is, and, and also I had to bring this up. We left that missile agreement that they were, they were cheating on. Uh, yeah. We killed 200 and, of their the mer mercenaries over in Syria. Yeah. And the missile agreement that uh, President Obama w with Vice President uh, Biden, uh, you know, took away from Poland, the the uh, the uh, the coverage there. So, again, I don't see what, you know, Joe Biden is, you know, ranting about because they did nothing to stand up against Russia whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. The first thing he did is, without a deal, just pulled out those missiles in order to say, mm -hmm. hey, see, I'm a good guy. Let's do a new deal. And Putin never gave him any respect. Well, let's look a bit. Listen, I want the president to be tougher. If that was in my presidential daily belief, I, and if I had a good relationship with Putin or at least uh, one on which I could pick up the phone and I felt I can get an answer, I know. I, listen, this better not be true. And, and, this is, and if this is true, it better stop yesterday. Meanwhile, Jim Banks is a congressman from Indiana who is uh, still in the military and fought in Afghanistan. He said after he left that briefing, that the Operation Enduring Freedom and Freedom Sentinel in 2014 and 2015, where he served, he says they were out there trying to kill them then. He says, why didn't Obama do something about it? Because this was not a new program. No, absolutely right. And, and again, I go back to understanding the premise is that, you know, Russia was doing everything, as well as China. Uh, when you, you and I used to have our conversations when I was over there in Afghanistan working as a civilian military advisor to the Afghan National Army, we had the Chinese uh, going down and they shut down our Internet systems uh, with a, a bug for about 48 hours. And, and I was based down out of Kandahar. So we have had these countries, Russia and China, intervene there in Afghanistan. Understand, and we know that uh, to be true, and it's happened during the Obama administration. So once again, uh, it is this this selective situational ethics uh, that you see coming from the the, the left is very uh, well. It's, it's the hypocrisy is blatant. 
It's hard for the president to get on his front foot. The coronavirus is resurging to a degree in Arizona, Texas, um, and Florida to take just a few. And then you have a situation like this. Russia's story emerges over the weekend. And then you have the challenge of bringing back the economy with an economy that keeps knuckling under due to this virus, which we really have not got under control. Not many people thought the president was the perfect guy to control a virus. They thought he was the perfect guy to control an economy and a country. But the virus is another one. So Joe Biden, by doing nothing, has maybe a double digit lead in most battleground states and is threatening in Texas, Arkansas and Georgia and North Carolina. How do you get the Biden? How do you close the gap, Colonel West, and get Biden out of his basement? Well, I think what you what you do is you put the left on the defense. You bring bring them out, uh, not just Joe Biden, but you bring them out and talk about the fact that you see this uh, this anarchy, this uh, insurrection, this insurgency that is undermining our country. And what are they saying about that? When you look at what is going on with these blue states and how they have not done well in dealing with the uh, COVID nineteen, and we've got to work locally. And you know, I'm here in Texas. We've got to make sure that even in our red states that we're doing the right thing to not destroy an economy, but to help to get people back to work and help to keep our businesses open and not push them uh, deeper down. But I think the most important thing, Brian, is to just say, do you stand for the rule of law? Do you stand for mob rule? Do you stand for being, you know, helping Americans to be victors or do you want more Americans to be victims? Do you believe in economic empowerment or do you believe in economic enslavement? So I think that you have to have the principled argument. I think you have to look at these, this ideological agenda of the left and really, uh, you know, combat them on that level instead of making this about Trump or Biden. So here's what Governor Christie said right now about the race. And by the way, you're Texas GOP uh, chair. That's what you're running for. And of course, people are really worried about Texas. Cut 38. There's no question that while these national polls are less significant um, in terms of the raw numbers, the trend is obvious. The trend is moving towards Joe Biden when Joe Biden hasn't said a word. Joe Biden's hiding in the basement and not saying anything. No, uh, no discredit to the vice president. If you're winning without doing anything, why do anything? Um, the president has to change course here, both in terms of the substance and answering that question much better than he did with Sean Hannity in terms of what he wants to do in a second term. Um, and secondly, he needs to approach the American people in a different way than he's been approaching them recently. Your, your take on his take. I absolutely agree. I think that now is the time for President Trump to show a visionary leadership, to talk about where he wants to take America in a second term and talk about where we were before the COVID-19. I think the president right now needs to show positivity. You know, one thing about leaders, and I always tell people that no one follows a frantic fanny into a firefight in the military. You're going to follow that person that shows resolve, resilience, and courage, and it shows a sense of fearlessness. And that's what we're looking for right now. We're not finding it in many of the governors uh, across this this uh, country. We're not finding it in many of the elected officials down to the mayoral level. So now is a great time for leadership to stand up and shine through and talk about you know America. This is a great time for President Trump to come out in this, our 244th Independence Week, and talk about the resurgence of America and what America means and what independence means and what we fought for. We fought against the world, the greatest power that the world knew, 200 
444 years ago and won our independence. We can defeat a virus. We can we can defeat this this anarchy on our streets, but it requires leadership. And I think that's where the president needs to carpe diem, seize this moment, seize this opportunity. And if he doesn't, uh, he will not win. And the thing is, I, I my analogy, and I think you could buy into this, is the Patriots have won Super Bowls before, but and they were better than the Atlanta Falcons, but they found themselves 24 points down. You don't sit there and blame the refs and say, well, my guys are not playing well. You're Bill Belichick. Design a different game plan. Pressure your offense to do better and play better. And they had the greatest comeback in NFL history. Don't complain. Go do it. Don't say I'm better. Go prove it. And they are. he's down. <laughs> And he's got to take this. Do you do accept it? Hey, Brian, you are absolutely right. And you know I was born and raised in Atlanta, and I remember being up 28-3, to and my relatives are calling me, and I said, look, you don't see the New England Patriots putting their heads down. They are still in in this game. And what happened was the Atlanta Falcons, they changed their strategy. They started to play not to lose, and they took their foot off the pedal. And that's what leadership does. Leadership talks about, hey, rally on me. This is what we can do. You know, so what? It says 28-3 to on the scoreboard, and it's in the second half. We're going to win this game, and that's what we need to have uh, in the United States of America right now. We need to have that Bill Belichick type of, you know, resiliency and, re- and, uh, and, and resolve. And let's see if the president, first you've got to acknowledge you're losing. And the word is going to Politico, he knows he's losing. And I think that people shouldn't – it's not the – no offense to John Kerry and George Bush. It wouldn't have been that much of a difference. Bill Clinton and Bush 41 wouldn't have been that much of a difference the other way when Bill Clinton won. You know, this is a dramatic difference. This is not even Joe Biden's agenda. This is AOC's agenda. And, yeah. and you should – and, and, and America should understand that. You might say, well, Joe Biden, we know he's been around forever. He has a lot of Republican friends. He's not going to be running this country. The people that are going to put him into office are going to tell him what to do, and it's going to be Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and they're going to be running the country. And if you're comfortable with that, go vote for Joe. I sense a lot of independents are not comfortable with that, and the president's got to make that clear. He has to make that clear, and that's why I say it's about the rule of law or it's about the rule of the mob. Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, all of these elected officials on the Democrat side, they haven't said a word about the anarchy. As a matter of fact, uh, Barack Obama last week called what we see happening in our streets an awakening. You know, this is not an awakening. This is intimidation, threats, coercion, fear, violence on our streets, the defacing of our our monuments, our memorials, the destruction of our history. That's not an awakening. That's socialism. And and that's Marxism. And President Trump needs to stand up and talk about the ideological battle that we're in. Are you right, Brian? He's not going to be successful. Uh, You are always successful. Lieutenant Colonel, just tell me about your motorcycle uh, and how people can bid on it for charity. Well, it, uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation is the charity that we're – it's a faith-based organization that supports our military members struggling with post-traumatic stress. Uh, Taco Mania Tacos, a dear friend of mine down in South Florida, is going to pick up the bike uh, this week. And it's going to be transported down to him. They're going to get started on re- uh, restoring it and uh, customizing it. And so between Taco and then also Mighty Oaks Foundation, they'll get the word out as far as uh, the auction and when it's going to occur. And uh, we just look forward to saving more lives in our military from post-traumatic stress. And where do people go when it's time to bid or find out more? 
You can go to the Mighty Oaks Foundation, and then we will also put the word out on our social media, theoldschoolpatriot.com, and we'll make sure that everyone is informed about uh, this auction. And we'll show pictures uh, of the bike being customized as we go along. Not many people survive, as you, in your words, a uh, motorcycle accident when you're going 75 miles an hour, but there's not many people like Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Colonel, thanks so much for joining us. Glad you're okay. Yeah, man. We'll, I look forward to seeing you too, brother. All right. Absolutely. Soon. one 408 Harold, I see you. Irving, I see you. Ian, I see you. I'll get to all of you when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, the Democrats are going to go into the White House today and meet about the intel, the Russians, the, about the Russians paying bounties to target U.S. soldiers. I, I'm laughing because Iran's been targeting our soldiers for 19 years. The Russians, to a degree, have been there for at least 10. But now this report comes out and they're saying, why didn't the president act out? Uh, more. And the the answer is it was in the presidential daily brief reportedly, but because it had a countermeasure and had dissenting opinion, it didn't come to the verbal briefing happened as late as February. So now people are going to pretend as if they're outraged, like they care about that war or our troops. Harold, uh, listening in Raleigh, North Carolina. Harold. Good morning, sir. I, I hear a lot of, I'm, I've been looking at this back and forth about police reform, and I find it to be a bogus argument because Cops basically deal with the failures of government. And this indemnity, it's qualified indemnification. You want to take it away from police officers and take it away from politicians also. That question should be asked to them. If it's good for cops, why shouldn't it be good for politicians? Because you can't have Baltimore and Detroit if you don't have mis- misconduct, malfeasance, and incompetency. And cops deal with the end result. And now we're being blamed for all the ills. We have to deal with it. You have to show up and deal with it. But we catch all the heat when it's time for reform. How about reforming politicians? How about reforming politicians? Because they're corrupt. Yeah, well, they don't deliver for the community. James Clyburn's done nothing for his community. Uh, you could say that they were they make an impact nationally, but not to the people that put them in office. I love that idea, Harold. Irving, listening on 1360 KHNC in Denver. Irving. Yes, how you doing? Good. What's in your mind? Thanks for this opportunity. I just want to, I'm just just sitting here listening to uh, all this over the last five months. But uh, lately I've been contrasting my graduating class in 68 with uh, this 2020 class. And Martin Luther King was killed in 2008. Uh, I mean, uh, 1968. Uh, well, RFK. Uh, now we've had, yeah, and yeah, a lot of assassinations. Uh, I mean, uh, Malcolm X... Uh, uh, Medgar Evans, uh, we had a lot of stuff going on that was racist Through the decade. And, uh, co- and covert. Uh, there was a criminal class in Iowa. We didn't shut down the economy is your point, right? Right, right. They had a, uh, we had a future. We had Vietnam looming over our head. Now the war is right here. The kids that went to, went to Cuba in 68, 69, my best man went two years, uh, to first two years of college, he went to Cuba. 
And uh, he came back, and he's uh, operated within the communist uh, circles and uh, Marxist circles for the last 50 years. That was his future. That was his his carrying on. But now we have the war right here on our soil. I hear it. It's uh, very disturbing, and we got to acknowledge it and address it. When you talk about race relations, I'd love to talk about it. Let's make progress. Let's gain opportunity. Let's see what the issues are. But when you wreck the place and then you vilify police, you got a problem. Everyone just walks away and says, you don't seriously want to address this issue. We're seeing it in the chop zone. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show on an exciting Tuesday. A lot to discuss. Barney and company will get to see what I look like finally. Uh, we'll do a simulcast on the Fox Business Network. Uh, we're live in New York City and heard around the country. Uh, but we have a lot going on in New York again. For the longest time, this was the epicenter of the coronavirus. Now we're the epicenter of defunding police. Sorry, Minneapolis. Sorry, Los Angeles. We're taking a billion dollars out of police force. Incredible to say. We're also going to talk about what that means for the 26-2020 election and what it means for us here in major cities, why so many are heading for the exits. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If it's true, we absolutely need to run it to ground and there should be consequences for Moscow. But at the same time, one just has to ask, why now? Why are they making such an issue of it right on the heels of of running into, you know, a national election? Congressman Michael Waltz, a former Green Beret turned congressman to Russia Redux. How the latest report about Russia paying the Taliban bounties to kill Americans is missing the mark. The message all sides should be taking from the New York Times anonymously sourced story. Well, I'll share that with you shortly. Number two. Everybody wants to say it was a few people hanging out at bars that caused this. That's not true. Listen, Texas has been reopening since May 1st. Everything was declining as a, as a result. Cases were declining. This spikes happened after tens of thousands of people got together in close proximity. That's just the truth. Congressman Dan Crenshaw, COVID-19 restrictions revisited state by state, city by city. Governors are reissuing restrictions, blaming socializing, not protesting for the surge. I don't accept that. Number one. What's much more important is that this neighborhood is not under siege and that there are not people being victimized. There are multiple people who are being injured and hurt, and we need to do something about it. Well, we'll see about that. That is Carmen Vest, the Seattle police chief who's sitting on the outside because the liberal mayor has her there. City to city. Chaos is taking root and law enforcement is being blamed. And yes, defunded. Uh, with me right now to try to make uh, heads, or, heads or tails of this. He's seen a lot up close and personal. He is a GOP uh, political consultant. He's currently co-chairman of a pro-Donald Trump super PAC called Great America. And he's got everything on his resume, including former assistant to President Reagan, Reagan, and he managed his re-election campaign, including Ross Perot's. Ed Roll- and Governor Huckabee, I should say. Ed Rollins, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. My pleasure, Brian. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. Uh, better than the country. The country with this civil unrest, can you put it in perspective? You lived through the 60s. 
I lived through the 60s. I was a dean of students at a major university in 69 through 72, and they're burning down ROTC buildings and libraries and what have you. Uh, the difference this time, I think, Brian, and what, I, what I'm somewhat concerned about is for young people who didn't go through the civil rights movement, did not go through the anti-Vietnam era where the protests were every day on every corner, uh, this is kind of a big thing for them. This is sort of like uh, uh, the lawlessness. Is, is, they see it as a big rally, equally as important. A lot of kids not in college, a lot of kids uh, not in school. Uh, the crowds are sort of growing. Uh, I think the cause uh, of police brutality, what have you, is it needs to be uh, carefully looked at. Uh, uh, the vast majority of policemen in America defend us. They're good. Uh, they keep us safe. Uh, uh, every so often there's a bad cop somewhere or a cop who makes a mistake. Uh, and obviously, uh, the, the black community has suffered uh, immeasurably in some cases. But I think the key thing here is for like de Blasio to take a fourth of this police budget of New York City, uh, which is a, the largest police force in the country because it's the largest city in the country, and take 25 percent of that out, uh, take a billion dollars and say, I'm going to redistribute it to uh, social programs and other programs is absolutely absurd. The reason the quality of life in New York has improved from when I first came here 20 some odd years ago is because the police department has effectively done its job uh, and basically kept crime down. Crime is now getting rampant. Shootings are, uh, are the daily story. Uh, and, and you'll find very quickly people say, thank you very much. I think I'll go somewhere else to do my business or somewhere else to live. While they're doing that, in fact, here is the mayor yesterday, uh, cut two, excuse me, cut three. My office presented to the city council a plan that would achieve a billion dollars in savings for the NYPD and shift resources to young people, to communities in a way that would help address a lot of the underlying issues. So they're, they're, you know what they're doing? They're telling uh, 1,167 cops that were supposed to come on the beat despite this turmoil, you're not coming on. That's how they're beginning to save money. They told 600 members of the anti-crime unit, we're going to siphon you out and give you retirement packages. The Bronx precinct uh, leader quit after 29 years. And now we have a civil unrest. And the cops, I've talked to a couple of them, they're being told, let it go. Watch it happen. Let these people know what lawlessness looks like. I can't blame them. Well, the reason, reason we can't blame them is because every single day they go out and they put their life at risk. Uh, uh, I would not want to be a police officer. Uh, I have great respect for those that do and appreciate what they do. But can you imagine saying goodbye to your wife or your kids uh, or, your, or your husband and saying, thank you, I hope I get back today. Uh, I may not. Uh, in the course of the day, I may get shot. I may get shot at. I may make an arrest that basically is going to get me arrested Uh, uh because of all the the lawsuits and what have you, uh, I think you're going to have a great difficulty getting officers to, to new young recruits to go into the program. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, the, the life the life of a police officer today is is harried, uh, and certainly not one that I would want to, us to to lose that edge that we have gained over 20, 20 years to get to where we are today. To depend on this, so, what has been one of the safest cities in America. So let's say you're shoulder to shoulder with President Trump right now, and you see that. Uh, Los Angeles cut 143 million out of their budget. Seattle has a has a lawless zone right in the middle of their city. You see that Minneapolis is converting their police force to a peace force. You see in Atlanta there's a uh, there's this blue flu, and 150 called in sick a couple of days ago. Now, you know the president inter- innately, sincerely is a pro law enforcement guy. Tell me the tone. 
Well, the tone the tone has to be a serious tone and not, and not not one in which uh, you, you can't tweet out smart ass remarks. You have to be very careful in what you say, and you have to basically be be offering help to these communities uh, uh, and basically totally be supportive of the law enforcement and insist that the courts and certainly you have some influence on the federal courts. Uh, so many of these police officers that I talk to say, why should I go out there and arrest somebody? And before I get home, the person will be out of jail, even when they've had multiple cases. So I think the key thing here is to, is to set a positive tone, uh, to be a leader. Uh, you know, the, the president controls this environment. Uh, he, he is, uh, he needs to be serious about what he says and you can't think out loud. You need to have your, your justice department people come in or your law enforcement people come in and, and say, what are some of these solutions? What can we offer as a federal government to, where can we assist us and make the tone be a very serious tone. And again, don't make it look like partisan. Don't make it look like it's anti-black. Don't make it look like it's uh, it's anti-cop in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I think I think a serious tone is what's what's really required here. Uh, okay, well we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's take a look at this election now. Do you believe the president's losing? Uh, as of today, the president is losing. If the election were to put today or next week, uh, uh, he certainly wouldn't get reelected. Uh, uh, do I think he can win? Yes, uh, I think he's got to do a lot of things to turn that around. I think he's. I think he had a he had a very strong economy going. He basically has lost that by the virus. And politics, they're controllables and they're uncontrollables. Uh, you have to be perfect on the controllables, which are your fundraising, your campaign, what you say. Uh, your uncontrollables are things like hurricanes, viruses. No one has been hit with the kinds of crisis on the uncontrollable side that he has. Who would ever expect? And certainly, in my seventy-seven years, I've never never seen anything like the, this. Uh, virus uh, and the damage that it's done to the country, to hospitals, to communities. Uh, equally as important, uh, the, the the fact that you have half the half the country uh, unemployed at this point in time uh, has created a, an economic uh, virus that uh, is every bit as serious. So uh, it, it's now a time of real leadership. It's time to really step up. And 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 I, and I thought the president had an opportunity over the last couple of months to step up and really be the be the leader. Uh, as a Reagan would have, or as, a, as a, you look through history, you look at people like Churchill and and uh, people who go out there and take take the crisis and run with it. Uh, uh, and I don't think that his rhetoric has been as, as effective as it should be, and I don't think his policies. Why doesn't he wear a mask? Why, why what's so stupid about not wearing a mask? Uh, uh, you know, if you're vice president, everybody else is wearing a mask. You got to set an example, and and you got to be empathetic to the elderly, particularly. Uh, uh, who's had tremendous uh, 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 crisis in, the, in their communities, uh, and that's that's been a very strong support group of the president. And that's what I worry most about in the campaign. If older voters don't think this president cares about them because he's cavalier about uh, the responses, uh, then I think to a certain extent uh, uh, that they, they won't vote for him, uh, and, and Biden may be perfectly acceptable to them as also an older citizen. Uh, so I do worry about it, uh, and, I, and I, I look at polls. Uh, you know, the, the key thing about any presidential election, and I've been in seven of them, is the president's approval number is pretty much the vote he gets. So if you're at 38, 39, 40 percent approval rating, uh, you're not going to win a 50 percent election. Uh, uh, and, the, and the strategy of this campaign, which to date I can't quite see what it is, uh, uh, you've got a lot of inexperienced people running this campaign. Uh, and campaigns are not something you, you learn from the lesson. It's not it's not four years ago. Four years ago is gone. What is the election that you strategy you have to run today? And the person that I think is is needs to be really reengaged uh, is right sitting in the White House. That's Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway is 
ran Trump's campaign last time. I worked with her over the years in polls. She understands women voters better than anybody in America. Uh, we're suffering immeasurably uh, with a 20% gap on women voters. Uh, Kellyanne ought to be there in every single meeting, every single time the president's going to tweet. She needs to be saying, yes, Mr. President, you should say that. Mr. President, you shouldn't say that. Uh, somehow we need to really make this White House think politically uh, and not just basically be responding to John Bolton or any of the rest of the things that Trump wants to do every single day. And, are, and uh, do you believe the right people are around him? Is there still time to exp- to get the old band back together? I, I think in a presidential election, you can bring in all the talent you want. Uh, uh, I found that out in, in uh, 1984. Every single governor who had been against Reagan in the past wanted to be a part of it. Every single operative, I went out and created an all-star cast of people uh, because uh, I thought it was a time to bring the party together. Uh, my sense is this is a very closed camp. Uh, Jared Kutcher knows nothing about politics, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, Pascal is maybe a very effective social media guy. But uh, this is you, you don't start in your first campaign as a campaign manager running a presidential race. Uh, so my sense today, and I don't mean to second guess anything that's going on, I'm just trying to basically be positive here, is that uh, you need you need to bring talented people in there that understand this uh, and take take it seriously. Polls uh, uh, are when you start dropping in numbers, uh, something happens. Why do why you know don't worry about the head to head. Worry about what's happening inside. And when you see that Republicans are dropping uh, uh, seven eight percent less, Republicans are supporting the president. Uh, uh, and and you, you have your polls go out and say, oh, we've got 95 percent of Republicans. Well, even if you have 95 percent of Republicans, that's 25 percent of the voters. 40 uh, percent uh, are independents. You need you need half of those independents or more. Uh, you're not going to get any Democrats, uh, which are which are a little larger base. Don't bitch about the polls. Learn from the polls and basically uh, adjust to them. And go find out where you're where you're, where you're deficient and, and what do you what do the voters want to hear from you? Ed, uh, obviously you say this because you're running a super PAC. You want to see him win. Not only a Republican, you like him. Uh, you're also just being honest. Jared Kushner doesn't have the experience. Brad Parscale never ran a campaign. And there's a lot of good people like you on the outside. I want you to hear what a former client ju- said to us an hour ago. Listen, the president, the most important thing he has to do, Brian. He has to focus on the things that offend people, not the things that offend him. Uh, Nobody cares that he's been insulted. Nobody cares that the press is unfair to him. What they care about is how the world is working against them. And he needs to once again get on that white horse that he was on in 2016 and be the champion for the little guys. He needs to be the voice that's fighting for the people, not fighting for his own slights. Great, great counsel from my old my old candidate Mike Huckabee, who had a great understanding of where the body politic was. Uh, again, attacking John Bolton. I had a friend of mine who was in the Oval Office for half an hour this week. She said all he could talk about was John Bolton. I'm going to put John Bolton in jail. Nobody cares about John Bolton. John Bolton's book is will be read and forgotten in, in, in three days, and then you'll be dealing with Carl Woodward's book and uh, John uh, uh, Bob Woodward's book and everybody else. At the end of the day. Don't go after those people. Go after the problems facing the country. And I think Mike Huckabee gave great counsel there. Yeah, he did. So uh, there, there's still time. Uh, the president could probably use the 4th of July weekend to revamp. Uh, look, you point out Dukakis was uh, crushing Bush 41 when he was going right. first as vice president. And what happened? Well, he's 17 points behind. Uh, Roger, our late boss, Roger Ailes, uh, 
uh, was his was his media consultant. Uh, my former deputy, Lee Atwater, who's the campaign manager, Jim Baker, the former chief of staff of the White House. They got in there. They got focused on Dukakis, uh, and they they took him out of the ballpark. In this particular case, what people want to know is, all right, what are you going to do in a second term, uh, basically, to help us get this economy moving again? That should be easy. He did it once. He needs to do it again. Uh, nobody cares what Joe Biden did 40 years ago. What they care about today is what is Biden, Pelosi, and Schumer going to do to this country. And with a country that's going to have a serious debt, a serious problem still, no matter who the next president is, how do you get America's back moving again? And, and it's, it's, it's not too late. You say, I'm for him. I, I'm not just for him. I've raised $60 million for him. Uh, and, and the good people that support my PAC, uh, and my PAC has been pledged 100% to him, uh, are giving $5, 10 15 $100 uh, uh, to, to help this president. And, and we need to make sure the money's spent well. So gotcha. I, I, just, I just see an opportunity to drift. We need to get him... Ed, I put you. You're an ex-boxer. I would want Ed Rollins in my corner, especially in a 15-round fight. And this will be the old days, the 15-round fight. Ed Rollins, thanks so much. My pleasure. You take care. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. That is some sage advice. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm not going to confirm or deny, you know, an, an intelligence, right. but if something this sensitive uh, was out there, I'd be pissed that nobody uh, brought it to me or, or right. didn't raise their hand and be like, hey, boss, uh, read in that, you know, there's some information you need to read today. Make sure we, we cut out time in your in your calendar in order to do that. So that would be the question that I would be asking. And then if there was some kind of conflict in the veracity of the information, What are we doing to clarify that? What are we doing to understand this? What other things would we possibly know if this information, if we had access to this kinds of information? And there were bounties, according to a congressman who fought there, uh, on America's heads uh, by Russians since 2014. So what did President Obama do? Probably nothing. Ian, listen on WVMT in Vermont. Ian. Yes, I, I, I think this is a perfect time to put things in perspective. As you know, uh, the Russians were well on their way to sanitizing uh, Afghanistan when Jimmy Carter went in there with Brzezinski and sent those Stinger missiles. And then they started shooting down Russian helicopters on, on a regular basis, killing hundreds of uh, young Russian soldiers. So in a way, this could be considered payback. But look at who we supported with Jimmy Carter. Yeah, we absolutely. supported bin Laden. We supported the Mujahideen. Well, you know, they have a reasoning, but do they do it? Would they risk that politically? No, and we're leaving. Didn't they want us to leave anyway? Now now there's a case, bigger case, that we're going to stay. And I hope we stay. Not with 50,000 troops, not with 100,000 troops. Nine to ten. So we see what's going on and we make sure that government's not overrun. When we come back, I'll take more of your calls. one 408 7669 Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm hearing officers who are probably the most phenomenal officers in the country. They are by far the most professional that I've ever worked around. Um, And they're beaten and they're bruised and they're down. I had one officer tell me that he feels like a Vietnam soldier returning home to a country that hates him. Um, And that's not a good place to be. The vilification and the constant um, verbal battering of our profession has taken a huge toll on top of what they were expected to do uh, with the protests and with COVID. So um, morale is low right now. No kidding. Uh, It is really low. Uh, And that is a police chief talking about where was that from? That was the LAPD. They lost one hundred and forty seven million dollars from their budget. Now, you take that along with the fact that now we have to relock down in Los Angeles. They're going to crack down in the Inland Empire. They're going to crack down over in Malibu. If you're on the beach, they're going to push you off. That's going to create more tension with law-abiding citizens because of governors who have no idea what to do except for to take things away from people. And I hope these class action suits start working, and I hope people will continue to be more be responsible but even more responsible so we don't have to sit in these lockdown situations. I mean, just taking a march around to see what's happening uh, state by state, uh, city by city, and I'm not talking about unrest. We could do both of them uh, in terms of uh, what's happening because of the COVID virus. There's a lot. Uh, in New York so far, they are, might not open up phase three, which would be in restaurant dining. Forget about gyms. Phase three just goes on hold. New Jersey has postponed indoor dining indefinitely, even though, according to somebody that knows, the governor was dining indoors over the weekend. Isn't that interesting? Murphy says, no, I'm not going to do that. We're no longer going to do that as of Thursday. The governor of Arkansas shut down bars, excuse me, of Arizona, shut down bars, gyms, and theaters. Uh, In Pittsburgh, since cases are going up, they are starting to do the same exact thing. Uh, They say no more bars. They say, of course, bars are the problem in Pittsburgh, but they say the protests weren't. Nobody believes that. Either that or everything you tell us about why this spreads is not true. Starting tomorrow, Oregon, Oregon required to wear masks. Uh, The governor orders Kansas residents to wear masks in public. They will not reimpose restrictions on state businesses uh, that are open, but rather will mandate that all Kansans wear masks. San Diego, one of my favorite places in the world, will close all bars, wineries, and breweries. Can you imagine this on Fourth of July weekend? In Texas, bar owners collectively are suing to overturn these closures. In Arizona, uh, they are uh, going to uh, host Summerfest without masks. Mayor Bryce Hamblin of Eager, Arizona, I don't know if I said that right, with a population of 5,000, said in a recent statement that he has no plans to cancel their roster of events for the summer season, including a 4th of July parade. Listen, the president says, I'm not going to tell every state what to do. The governors uh, are saying, I'm not going to tell every city what to do. So they better not pick and choose what to do. Because if you're going to tell me that the protest didn't cause any spread, then you have absolutely no credibility when you tell me not to go to the mall, not to go to the beach, which is uh, outdoors as well. If you want to tell me to put on a mask and spread out, I get it. But the other way, I don't get. Bob, listen on WXJB in Hudson, Florida. Bob? How are you? Good Good. morning. I just had a few things to say. Uh, I'm a retired law enforcement officer. Uh, 
actually still working as a civilian in law enforcement uh, for a total of about 52 years here. And the things that are being said that Black Lives Matter tries to perpetuate this genocide thing, it's absolute nonsense. And the statement that cops come into work and say, oh, I'm going to go kill somebody today, that is absolutely, positively untrue. And I can tell you from over the years, having seen officers who were put into the situation, ended up having to take a life, they don't take it lightly and they don't recover from it right away. It's something that weighs heavily on people. And, you know, people that run around and say, I'm going to shoot somebody, they find out the hard way that that's really no big thing. Hey, Bob, tell me about Atlanta. What did Atlanta look like to you? Well, it's a disgrace. I mean, number one, most of these same liberal communities have released what they call all the low-level offenders out into the street. They can't hold them. Uh, You know what's going on with New York. They arrest them nine times and just keep letting them go. Nobody goes to jail. They're the ones that are causing all the chaos. When you see somebody like the one picture with the woman who came down from an occupied apartment that she was afraid they were going to burn the store downstairs and they start beating her with a two-by-four. Yep. That is, there's no excuse for that. And there's no excuse for the fire department not to get the hoses and start breaking these crowds up. You can't let the fire department do it. You'd have to give the cops those uh, airport-type things with the nozzle on top and they'd go do it. But as long as this continues to go on unchecked, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. All right. Uh, thanks for the call. I know it. Uh, right now, the cops want them, want, I think on some level or on an organized level, they want the people of their city to see what happens when they don't do anything. So I want you to play the other Robert Harris cut. So let's listen to this. This is the director of the Los Angeles Police Protection League. When you start uh, tinkering with the budget of the LAPD, um, even though on the on the onset it looks large, but even $150 million will have serious impacts because the first place that we're going to go is we're going to slow or freeze hiring. Um, and right now the LAPD only hires to about its own attrition rate, so we're never adding to our ranks. And if you cut funding from us and delay uh, recruit classes and hiring, it will create a domino effect. And you're looking at about a loss of almost 800 officers over the next two years. And with the World Cup and the Olympics coming, I don't think we can afford um, to do that. I, you know, listen, we can't even have a, uh, a small concert or you can't go to the improv, let alone the World Cup with 100,000 people in Los Angeles. You kidding? Can't even think like that. But and, and then and the and the need for the LAPD to not only be bulked up, but to be shined and to be credited and not to be diminished. So one hundred forty three million dollars. And you've been called killers by the mayor. Who says you better keep your distance, but we'll kneel with Black Lives Matter in the middle of a crowded area. But they keep on coming out with statements that, yeah, there's a problem with the spread, but it didn't come from the protests. No one believes that at all. So Seattle's the other major problem. So they got that that autonomous zone. And not only that, the people that organized it now are not even involved in it. And two more people died, a 16 and an 18-year-old last night, both black.
Listen to the protesters. They say, listen, I don't even know what's going on in there. Cut one. Violence is being brought to this place, and we as a community are concerned. They got to shut this down. This is not... This, I don't know what this is now. This is turning into something else now. I'm sorry, but this needs to come to an end, period. It is drawing a certain type of violence there, and it needs to be, it needs to be shut down. They, sounded, they surrounded our reporter, his car, and his crew. Unbelievable. Um, so they, uh, it, looked, it looked really menacing. I mean, it was a very dicey situation when they found out who he was. They surrounded his crew, and they laid in front of his car, and then he was not able to go anywhere, and they couldn't do a live shot. They were used shouting expletives at him. Think about this. This mayor of New York City has asked and said it was a good idea to have an Occupy Zone across City Hall to pressure them to cut the budget at least a billion dollars. That's what you want? Because they don't just pack up and leave because you tell them to. Listen to the police chief. Cut to. You know, at this point, the East Precinct, while important to us, what's much more important is that this neighborhood is not under siege and that there are not people being victimized. You know, the precinct is a building. The precinct is a building, but people dying, rape, robbery, assault, that is what we need to deal with. There are people who live here. There are multiple people who are being injured and hurt. And we need to do something about it. It is absolutely irresponsible for this to continue to continue. A place where we have seen now uh, two murders uh, and multiple people injured. Uh, There needs to be some more action uh, for public safety. Wrap your head around this. That's the police chief that says we need to do something. You're the police chief. If you can't do anything, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to call in the army? Oops, we can't do that. Do you want me to ask the president for help? Oops, they don't want that. You're the police chief. You lean on the mayor. You call out that mayor. And you say, the mayor has to allow us to do our job. Don't say, we need to end this. You're the people we look at to end this. When we come back, I'll be able to squeeze in a couple of calls, but I'm going to do a hit with uh, Stuart Varney, go one-on-one on FBN, the fastest-growing cable network in the country. Uh, we're going to talk about some players in baseball deciding they do not want to play in this smaller season, truncated season, that and more. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. We still got a couple of minutes uh, before we get to Stuart. Uh, we have uh, a bunch of calls, 1 866 408 7669. I'll be able to do it. Also, I have a chance to talk a little bit about football, excuse me, a little bit about baseball. It seems like there's a bunch of players now who are saying you can keep your 60 game season. So, for example, if you're making $15 million, you make five. They don't want it. Uh, income went in uh, uh, Zimmerman, uh, Joe Ross, two members of the World Series team. Is that the only two that you have uh, there, uh, Chris? I'm sorry, uh, Pete. I got Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross. And we have another that just, just crossed. Uh, somebody else is not going to be playing. And it's um, Ian Desmond will not be playing. So let's listen in. 
Here we are, it's 10.51. That means we're joined by Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox and & Friends and the host of The Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's talk baseball, Brian. Four players have announced that they're not going to take part in this season. Uh, show me, scroll up, please. I want to see who they are. There you go. Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross, Mike Leake, Ian Desmond. Look, they're not going to play this season. This, uh, the concern about the virus, this is just, it cannot be much of a season for baseball, can it? Well, we'll see how many join them. I mean, if it's yeah. 20s, if it's dozens, it's a problem. But a lot of people, Stuart, want to make money. And they haven't gotten paid. Basketball got paid. Remember, they're two-thirds through their season. Hockey got paid. Remember that. Football's a, a plans on launching. A lot of it has to do with you have a multimillion-dollar lifestyle, and those checks stop coming in. That falls off a cliff, so you play. But in these players' situations, I was just reading about Ian Desmond. He says he's really he's biracial. He says, I'm really upset about this whole George Floyd thing. I feel as though I want to spend my time. Um, I want to spend my time with my wife, who has we have a young family. I'm worried about bringing it home. Number two is I want to work with my uh, Sarasota baseball club. And then Ryan Zimmerman, who's 35 years old, says, listen, I'm not retiring. I just don't want to play a shortened season. There's too much of a chance of an injury. But in Ian Desmond's situation, he was going to, he's supposed to make $17 million. He's about to make $5 million. He's saying keep it. Very wow. interesting. I mean, this, is, this yeah. is like going from May to June and calling it a season. They usually go from May to, to October. Well, okay, look, I understand their concerns, and I understand the money side of things. But don't they know what they're doing to baseball? I mean, it's already under a great deal of pressure. This kind of thing is really going to hurt badly. I, I just cannot see baseball coming back to being America's pastime, major sport. I think you have an obligation for the fans to go back. I absolutely do. If you yep. don't have an underlying condition, if you're not going through cancer treatment, and there's a lot of great athletes who have some conditions we don't know about. And if you don't have that, or, for example, you have to take care of your parents and you're the only one, even though you usually have money to be able to do that, where you can't, uh, you have to be with people who have underlying conditions. If there's extraordinary circumstances, but if I have to sacrifice three months and go to Orlando like the NBA does and say, well, I'm going to miss my family. Well, there's a whole bunch of families missing people in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they're not making $25 million. Yes. You know, they're sitting there, they're making right. 3000 can't wait to get that combat pay, and it goes right to their family at home. They're not spending it at the Walmart in Kabul. Yeah, well said. Let me move on to something else. Uh, we've been talking about ridiculous questions asked at press conferences to the President of the United States. I've got another utterly ridiculous and demeaning question from a Politico uh, reporter who asked Kaylee McEnany a ridiculous question. Roll tape, and we'll see what it was. I think a lot of people are trying to understand what his view of uh, memorializing the Confederacy is and the proper place of the Confederate flag. Does President Trump believe that it was a good thing that the South lost the Civil War? Well, your first question is absolutely absurd. He's proud of the United States of America. Can you believe that, Brian? Is the president happy that the South lost the war or words to that effect? He that might be referring to the question I asked him last Monday, where I asked the president, what do you say to African-Americans who see some of the Confederate statues and say they fought to, you know, to keep us uh, to keep us enslaved? And what he says is you should know about your history or you're going to repeat it. Know how far you've come. If I could paraphrase what he said. For him to take that out of context like that or any other statement, what he's trying to say is 
Confederate soldiers are part of our history. And I was walking with Lindsey Graham right in front of Fort Sumter. He's a South Carolina senator. And he looked to the right, and there was a officer, uh, there was a Confederate officer, and there was a statue for him. And he looked to the ground, and there were these huge plaques for the 54th Infantry, all-black infantry yep. out of Massachusetts. Yep. And he said, they were right. They were wrong. And I'm so glad they were right, the 54th Infantry. But it doesn't mean they're terrible people. It means they're people of their times. And I thought that was an exact definition. I'm not going to judge every generation. They were dead wrong uh, fighting for to keep a slave culture. The Constitution, excuse me, the Supreme Court was wrong with the Dred Gott decision. It doesn't mean we should disband the Supreme Court. All of it is a product of our times and how much progress we made. We look back in the 60s and we wonder how people could possibly have a colored water fountain and a colored bathroom and a white bathroom. We know that. But we don't run from it. We study it and we make sure we improve from it. Right. You got it dead right. Brian Kilmeade, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us again, Brian. We'll see you soon. Go get him, Stuart. All right. uh, Maggie, listen on WPTF in Raleigh, North Carolina. Maggie. Hi, Brian. I've been listening to your show, and I am a former Republican who's now an independent, recently retired RN. And um, I really think that the president needs to focus on everybody wearing masks and listening to what the science is saying and um, giving conflicted reports about what to do and then encouraging large gatherings like the rally that recently happened where People were not even socially distanced or wearing masks and cheering them on. That's all well and good. But when they're spreading all kinds of uh, potential COVID to people of all ages, I've seen... Hey, Maggie, I get your point here because we're up against it. So he should wear a mask. Fine. Well, those same people that are so upset the president's wearing a mask... We're so happy people are protesting in the streets. We're so happy the mayor of Los Angeles is taking a knee with 500 people huddled around him. We're not convinced at all that the protests would spread the virus at all, even though it was in 320 cities over the course of 10, 20 nights. The guy gets tested every day. It would be a good example to wear a mask. But the fact that everyone's obsessed with the president wearing a mask just shows some of their disdain for the president. But if I'm the president, I wear it. Because I don't want to give anybody an excuse not to vote for me. Because every little thing matters. And he's got to play the perfect game. Your point is well taken. Always love hearing from WPTF listeners. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist. And I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy that uh, you're with us at 1-866-408-7669. And thanks so much for being with us, really, since uh, more than ever since this pandemic uh, began. We're coming to you from New York, but heard around the country, heard around the world. Many are getting on iHeartRadio. Some are listening on iTunes. Some are getting us on Fox Nation. We are carried live. We've got cameras in the studio, and I'm back in New York City. Before we get to my guest, bottom of the hour, we go inside politics with Chris Steyerwalt. And uh, waiting on board right now, we understand on the line is Congressman Adam Kinzinger. But first, the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If it's true, we absolutely need to run it to ground, and there should be consequences for Moscow. But at the same time, one just has to ask, why now? Why are they making such an issue of it right on the heels of of running into, you know, a national election? Yeah, is there politics in this? Absolutely, I believe. Michael Waltz knows the two thing, two, a thing or two about uh, fighting wars, a Green Beret colonel, Russia Redux. How the latest report about Russia paying the Taliban bounties to kill Americans is missing the mark. The message all sides should be taking from the New York Times anonymously sourced story. Number two. Everybody wants to say it was a few people hanging out at bars that caused this. That's not true. Listen, Texas has been reopening since May 1st. Everything was declining as a, as a result. Cases were declining. This spikes happened after tens of thousands of people got together in close proximity. That's just the truth. Uh, that's Dan Crenshaw. COVID-19 restrictions revisited. State by state, city by city, governors are reissuing restrictions, blaming socializing and not protesting for the surge. Never accept that. Number one. What's much more important is that this neighborhood is not under siege and that there are not people being victimized. There are multiple people who are being injured and hurt, and we need to do something about it. Uh, That is Carmen Best. She is somebody that should be doing something about it. She is the police chief. City to city, chaos is taking root. Law enforcement is being blamed and, yes, defunded. And it's no longer a catchphrase. Joe Biden can say, oh, I don't want to defund it. But it's happening in New York City. Goodbye, $1 billion. In Los Angeles, goodbye, $143 million. Uh, and by the way, in New York, no new, uh, no new class coming from the academy. They have their invitation and their job rescinded. And that's going to be official a little bit later on this week. Let's bring in Adam Kinzinger, a House Foreign Affairs Committee member from uh, from Illinois, pilot in the Air National Guard. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Good to be with you. Congress, first off, in, in, in Illinois, I mean, what do you see now with this unrest? This is really separate, what's happening in Chicago, from what we're seeing now with the Black Lives Matter and uh, people unhappy with the, the racial justice or way the state of policing is. You guys are just seeing record numbers of of crime in in Chicago. Any sign that this subside or a, an attack plan to stop it? Well, not that I've heard. And uh, you know, I think people have been cooped up a long time. I think you know, people are have, have made themselves angry by just staring at stories that make them angry. And then when you have leaders, and this is the key, that basically say this is acceptable. That you know, people are just venting long held you know oppression and. And you start defacing statues and making a mob decision, you know, a decision that should be made by communities. Um, I don't see necessarily how this is going to end, especially when, you know, like in New York City, they're saying we're going to cut a billion dollars from police funding. What message does that send to people out there? It sends a message that it works. And so they're going to, I think, double down and do more. I know. I mean, the campaign has got to force Joe Biden to weigh in. How do you feel about a billion dollars moving out? And in pure politics, I care more about safety. But in pure politics, if you believe that a candidate's not going to fight for law enforcement, imagine if you are law enforcement, retired or a family member, and you know they're not making a million dollars, you know the sacrifice and the danger that they're in. Uh, that's a that's a big uh, that's a big uh, kick in the groin to anybody yeah. in blue. Yeah, and think about one of the things we keep talking about is we need to make sure we're screening well and recruiting good people. How are you going to recruit people in this environment? And, 
you know, when you see like in the city of Atlanta, the, the shooting down there and immediately the guys are charged with murder before there's any even uh, investigation done on it. You know, what happens is this idea of qualified immunity that everybody talks about, which sounds great. You know, in reality, what that means is that uh, now a police officer can be sued for anything during duty civilly, even if you feel even if it was completely wrong. Now you could literally just blanket every police officer in lawsuits and there's no way they could defend or insure themselves on that because we're, we're, we're reacting in the motion and the, and the moment and we're not thinking long-term. We do this all the time, but this happens to be an extremely egregious example of that. Moving through, and I'm going to get to Russia and defense and what the controversy is now, but by the way, just to keep you updated, uh, Dr. Robert Redfield, Anthony Fauci and company, um, are now testifying in front of the House uh, committee about the state of the virus because it's surging in Arizona, Florida, and Texas in particular, and a concern in some other states. But what I think is a joke, Congressman, and they must think we're the most naive people on the planet, we're told if you're too close and you don't keep your distance and you don't wear your mask and you gather in large groups, you're going to get it. Only, I guess, if you're on the beach or in a bar, not in a protest. I'm seeing reports that say no proof that the protest caused the spread of coronavirus. Here's Dan Crenshaw on that. Cut 21. Everybody wants to say it was a few people hanging out at bars that caused this. That's not true. Listen, Texas has been reopening since May 1st. Okay, we've been getting back to normalcy since May 1st, and everything was declining as a, as a result. Cases were declining. Uh, this spikes happened after tens of thousands of people got together in close proximity. I, again, th- there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's, that's just the truth, and we're just dealing with it now. It's, it's not about blaming anybody. It's just about being honest with, with causes and effects. So is this what it's going to be until we get a, 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 some type of vaccine? The surge here, surge there, back in New York, back in Florida, and we're just going to bounce around? Yeah, you know, also the place where the virus spreads rapidly is churches, because evidently, you know, talking about Jesus gets you infected. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Dan's right on that. And, you know, and I think we have to be able to be flexible and have kind of shutdowns when we need them, reopen when we can, you know, until we get a vaccine. But the idea that this is not, you know, it's actually two big issues here. Number one is that you have a lot of people crossing the border, U.S. citizens in Mexico, for instance, that are crossing the border to get uh, treatment in U.S. hospitals. That's actually leading to a large surge, for instance, in Houston that we're seeing and uh, other areas that's not talked about. But then secondly, of course, the protest. I mean, when you have thousands and thousands of people in close, close proximity for a very long time, even if they're wearing masks, eventually they're going to pull the mask down or do whatever. And, uh, and this is going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to protest, but to deny that this had any role just shows an agenda that I think is you know, nobody's really buying. And but unfortunately, that's where we're at. What do you think the president could be doing that he's not? Well, I think it's, on the coronavirus issue, I think it's more calmly explaining what the federal government is doing, more calmly explaining the fact that, you know, look, we wanted to flatten the curve, not cure the virus. We want to cure the virus, but we can't keep shut down until that. And I think it's reiterating those points that we assume everybody knows, but they don't. People can forget them, you know, very quickly. And and, and then again, talking about the flexibility of opening and closing. It's going to be the reality until January, until we get a, a vaccine. But, you know, I think less politicization of this issue from the president. The president has to transcend partisanship as hard as it can be sometimes. Um, and I think that would actually get him a broader audience. Yesterday, you went to the White House 
and you wanted to find out what the White House knew about Moscow paying bounties to Taliban to assassinate American troops. What did you find out? So, look, I don't think the idea is far out of the realm of possibility and probably likelihood. What I do know is that, you know, whether or not the president was briefed, frankly, is irrelevant because the uh, intel agencies could not yet agree on this. And if this is something you need to have large agreement or at least to a point of significant confidence to be able to take action. Otherwise, you know, in theory, if it's not true and you're reacting against the Russians, think of the damage of that. But secondarily, I don't think the president was briefed. And you have you have, you know, multiple this kind of conflicting information. And so when the briefer made the decision to brief the president on everything, keep in mind, this is when the coronavirus pandemic is kicking off as well, um, skipped over that issue to wait for more information. I think where we're at now, and unfortunately, this has become a political issue, (coughs) is Republicans and Democrats should both agree that if Russia is doing this, there has to be harsh consequences. Instead, a lot of people have taken this as a moment to do politics with it and embarrass the president. And quite honestly, this leak is more than likely going to dry up any trails we have been pursuing to get more information on this. New York Times says he was given a written brief in February. Did you find that to be true? Yeah. So here's the deal. So a presidential daily brief is a binder that could be, you know, 50 or 70 pages that goes out every day and it goes to every, you know, major cabinet heads, et cetera. And it is very rare for a president, if they ever do, to read that entire thing every day. Instead, they rely on career briefers, people at whatever, you know, intel agency to pick what is most important to talk to the president about and then answer questions and go deeper as requested or required. This briefer, from my understanding, saw conflicting intel and made the decision not to brief the president on this until more information was granted. So would it be on the presidential daily brief? Yes. But I think there's a misconception that a president sits down and reads 70 pages of that every day versus relying on your professionals to tell us what you need to be very aware of. So I think it's a little trickery in those that are claiming that it's a scandal that it was there. Uh, Congressman Adam Kinzinger is here. Uh, by the way, I thought this was an interesting quote. Do you know Jim Banks of Indiana? Mm-hmm. So he served in Afghanistan. He says after he left the briefing, he tweeted that the payments went back to his service in Afghanistan. He was deployed in Afghanistan during the Operation Enduring Freedom and Freedom, Freedom Sentinel in 2014 and 2015. So this was around during the previous administration. What did they do? Yeah. Right, exactly. That's that's the point. I mean, we've known that Russia has been involved in Afghanistan and trying to destabilize it for a long time. They're ticked off that we're the only country Afghanistan has ever invited to stay and wants to stay. And uh, so they're going to do everything they can to try to counter us. They have high level, you know, units that are doing this. And yeah, it's a good question. What was done? But I think the bottom line is this. We just fully don't have, you know, solid evidence of it yet. All the intel community has come out and said, and I think even the Pentagon put out a statement that, Look, we, ju- we don't have agreement on this yet. Now, keep in mind, though, one thing. We killed a guy that killed 600 Americans. His name was Soleimani. And my friends on the other side of the aisle went apoplectic and said what he did was illegal, what he did was wrong, and it was going to start World War III. None of that came to be true. So now, all of a sudden, they're extremely interested in protecting American troops, which I don't doubt that they are. But they're using this as politics, and it's obvious. And I'll tell you one last good thing. The American, you know, as they got this intel, even before they could corroborate or confirm it, they advised our allies to be in an advanced force protection position, and we put ourselves in an advanced force protection position while we were getting more information. And so that's where we're at. What does that mean? 
It just means basically, hey, be aware. We have this intelligence. We don't know if it's true, but be ready just in case it is. And, uh, and so this force protection posture was increased uh, even while they were trying to get final information. Again, the tragedy of this now is since somebody decided unilaterally to affect U.S. foreign policy and leak this information, now I think it's harder to track down any traces because, frankly, if it's true, the Russians are probably going to be killing everybody that was associated with it and covering their tracks. Right. They're not kidding. Uh, Zamir Kabalov, uh, President Vladimir's envoy to Afghanistan on Monday, called the intelligence an outright fake that even the Trump administration has denied. Not that we expect him to say, yeah, that sounds good. It sounds like us. He also went on to say... Um, uh, since the Soviet war in the 1980s, his aim of the intelligence reporting was to torpedo the planned 2021 withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan under the February agreement between Washington and the Taliban. It is clear that there are forces in the United States who do not want to leave Afghanistan, who want to justify their own failure. That's what this is all about. Uh, so it's not to their advantage for us to stay, which means we should stay. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is an area I have a strong disagreement with the president on is, you know, precipitous withdrawal for a number and for a campaign. Uh, I think most people want out of Afghanistan, probably. But once you talk to them about the ramifications, they understand the reason to stay. We are not in a, you know, full scale war there. It's not what it was in 2012. You know, we have a residual force that's emboldening the Afghan people to defend themselves. And the last point is, 80 to 90 percent of the Afghan people in recent polling want America to stay. We're not an empire. We're an invited in partner. And that's very different. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, stay safe. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, appreciate the insight. See you, man. Anytime. All right. So the congressman was actually in the meeting yesterday. The Democrats will come out of the meeting. They'll call a press conference and they'll express outrage. Just trust me. Chris Tyrewell, uh at the bottom of the hour. But the good news is you are next. And I'll be on outnumbered, by the way, at noon uh, in the same outfit. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I've run three police departments, and I know one thing. In every one of them, there weren't enough officers to do the job that needed to be done. Because the police are the few, the people are the many. And so they are policed by cooperation. If they believe the law is just, and if it's enforced justly. Now that being said, to think that you're going to take a situation that has been allowed to happen because our police departments in total have not been managed properly and think in this time of crisis now you can cut the police departments you're sadly mistaken and you're going to cause big problems big problems for public safety but they're doing it and they're doing it everywhere uh rick listen w uh, uh rick you listen on wsba in gettysburg pennsylvania rick i think this is a strong campaign issue for the president what about you I agree. And uh, I think one of the things I was listening to uh, uh, a caller earlier that you had on, Mr. Rollins talking about polling. Um, I have a degree in statistical analysis and scientific modeling. And 
there are lots of problems with the way polls are handled. When you look at polling across all these polls, there is no consistency in what the premises are that the polls are based on. That's the first problem. You have to have the same premise in order to even compare polls. The second thing that's wrong is sample sizes. I work with graduate students and research teams, and, and, and I've probably done statistical work for almost a 1,000 uh, studies in the last 20 years. Most of these telephone polls average between 750 and 1,500 people on a poll which works out to like 0.0006% of the population. And when you start dividing that up by state... Rick, I hear you, but I don't think he's winning. My, I, 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 I think he's be an infinitely better president than Joe Biden. I think we're at a country, I think we're going to have the, the people that are riding the streets who will be running our agenda, but I do not think he's winning. And I know you're, you're an expert in this area, and if the polls told a different story, I would doubt them. But I think eight polls coming in the same way. Rasmus, in one of his friendliest polls, said that he's trailing 49-41, but he was down 12, and now he's down 7, which shows it trending in the right direction. The good news for Trump supporters is that he's in control of his own destiny. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I want you to keep it here. Chris Steyerwalt's next. I'm on, on, on numbered on Fox News Channel uh, at noon, so don't move. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The president, the most important thing he has to do, Brian, he has to focus on the things that offend people, not the things that offend him. Uh, Nobody cares that he's been insulted. Nobody cares that the press is unfair to him. What they care about is how the world is working against them. And he needs to once again get on that white horse that he was on in 2016 and be the champion for the little guys. He needs to be the voice that's fighting for the people, not fighting for his own slights. Uh, welcome back, everyone. That was Mike Huckabee a little bit earlier today. I thought that was very uh, insightful. Obviously, he's been doing this for a living for a while. And the, he's got to get the president, and he could get to the president. Obviously, Sarah Huckabee Sanders on the campaign and say, listen, no more complaining. You might be 100% right, but nobody cares, especially with the unemployment like it is, especially with the virus affecting everyone, especially with schools being out, teachers being sidelined, students not being in in school, the unrest in the streets, focus on us. Chris Steyerwald always focuses on me, which is a problem. Stats show too much focus is on me. Uh, He's the political editor for Fox News, and he knows a lot about a lot. Chris, welcome back. What a restraining order says uh, is not material to me. My focus remains uh, kill me centric. That's where I'm at. Well, I can't really push back on that. At an earlier time, maybe I will. <laughs> but uh, so so um, 
So, Chris, uh, first off, it was pointed out by Rasmussen today that the president is trailing. But he was trailing by, I think he said, they said 14 points. Now he's trailing by eight in a week. How much ground does he have to cover? Well, I don't use a Rasmussen poll because they don't use the right methodology. So I, I, I throw I throw that out the window. It, that that might it, it could be anything. So you know, I encourage people to ignore polls that don't follow standard methodological principles. Um, I do think that in the average of good polls that we use for the halftime report, the president has come back a little bit. He was down eleven. Uh, on average, and I think today it's like uh, less than nine. It's like eight something. Um, so there has been a little snapback. So you could say that there's a little snapback, or you could say, and I think this is probably more true, that there were a couple uh, polls that I think it was the New York Times Siena poll that had a 14 point deficit. I think that was probably a little heavy. Polls are uh, scattershot, right? Uh, it's not a laser target. It's uh, a, a that's why we have margins of error. So I think that there were a couple of polls that were a little bit heavy uh, for Biden, uh, not by intent, but just by random whatever. I think the president's deficit remains uh, deep, uh, you know, whether it's whether it's nine points or 11 points or eight points. Those are all, uh, you know, sort of catastrophic kinds of numbers in which an electoral college victory is out of reach and something has to be done. And this is, you know, when you hear uh, people talking about president has to start wearing masks, president has to start engaging, he has to start showing empathy for voters and their tribulations, as opposed to focusing on the things that he cares about. And I think the, the, the misstep with the Tulsa rally, I think even the effort to try to force the big uh, rah-rah Sismumba in Jacksonville uh, all of these things are reflective of a campaign that seems to be much like Hillary Clinton was in 2016, too focused on the candidate and not focused enough on voters. That's a good uh, that's a good part. Uh, Mick Mulvaney said something to me yesterday that might not have turned up on the Chris, uh, the Chris Starwell things to listen to list. So I'll share it with you now. Cut 39. I think Chris is I think Governor Christie's criticism there is is accurate. I would uh, I, I disagree subtly on one component of it when he said that people are moving to Joe Biden. I don't think that's true. I think they're moving away from Donald Trump. And those, that, that's an important distinction um, that I don't think Biden is doing much of anything. I think what you're seeing in the national polls, which Chris is right, they're not, they're not that important, but they do show general trends, um, is that folks are, are voicing their displeasure with the way the president has, uh, has uh, handled um, COVID and the Black Lives Matter uh, riots and, and, and uprisings in the last couple of weeks. What do you think? I mean, yes, yes, but, or yes, and. Uh, Donald Trump is doing almost exactly as well as he was doing four years ago. Uh, at this point, four years ago, he was clocking in at 41% of the vote, 42, you know, right where he, right where he is now, 40, 41, 42, tick-tock, 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 in that space. And... He took a couple of nosedives. You know, we remember the fight with the Gold Star family and most notably the Access Hollywood tape. And he would go down into the 30s in some polls and all that stuff. But this, like 130 days out, Trump is where he was four years ago. The problem for Trump, and this isn't about Biden, right? 
this isn't about Biden. This is about Hillary Clinton. This is about what Democrats understand about Trump now, that he can win. Um, Joe Biden is doing three or four times better than Hillary Clinton was. So Trump is the same. And he acts the same. And everything is the same for Trump with his base, with the voters don't trust him, don't like him. He has trouble with persuadable voters and all of that stuff. The difference this time is those voters in 2016, you had two pretty unpopular candidates who persuadable voters, the the swing voters said, I don't like either of these people, but I'm willing to take a chance on Donald Trump. And they broke for Trump, who essentially was functioning as the challenger. He was running against the incumbent party and against a very well-known politician in Hillary Clinton. This time, those voters are breaking in huge numbers for Joe Biden, whom they also know and who is a fixed uh, quantity in their minds. And the problem for Trump is, yes, Mulvaney's right. He's driving them away. But unlike in 2016, they have some place to go with Joe Biden. And that's why Trump is going to turn his focus, I'm sure, to a really, really rough them up, uh, bloody campaign against Joe Biden on character, on fitness for office. But I don't, th- I don't think it's smart to play the fitness for office in June, now July. No, no, no. And not, he's doing, no, 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 no. And that's a mistake. It, these ads are too shrill. Well, but here's the thing. They can't keep – Trump can't keep himself on message. There are good there are, uh, other presidents would kill for the opportunity to have uh, be uh, battling coronavirus for the person who is uh, uniting the nation. These are not uh, in, in the in the wake of the protests and the riots. These are not places where Trump seems to be comfortable or happy. Right. The, 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 he, the, this is not stuff that he seems to want to do. Nor does he want to talk about his best scoring area, which is the economy, with the kind of intentionality. If, if, if another, another uh, president would be laser-focused talking all the time about what we're going to do about the economy, you couldn't, they wouldn't talk nearly as much as Trump does, number one. And when they do, they would talk about getting people back to work. They, you couldn't get any, you know, if, if Barack Obama was president— uh, or George Bush was president, you couldn't get a word out of them other probably than we're working on getting Americans back to work, and that's what we're going to do, and we're fighting the virus. And it would be like a doll where you pulled the string, because you don't want to talk about things other than what people are really focused on. People are laser-focused on those two things. So if, you, if Trump can't do that, if that's not within him to engage in that way, then I think you probably just do move on to scorched earth with Biden, and you try to pull Biden down to where Clinton was, so that America look not have that that the thirty percent that decide elections that those folks look and say I don't like either of these people but I'm more concerned about Biden than I am about Trump so I guess I'm going to have to stick with the incumbent because I'm scared about the challenger. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I, I don't think you can possibly back off and do that though. And and here's the way: if I'm Trump, I would attack it. There's a couple of things that want Trump's way in my view. Number one, law enforcement. Don't make it blunt. Law enforcement's right 100% of the time. How dare you? Make it, make it two there. We're for law enforcement. Look at what's happening. It's not a slogan that Biden doesn't buy into. They are defunding the police. Not entirely, but defunding in major cities. And you call him out and make him comment. Are you comfortable in New York with a billion dollars less into law enforcement, are you comfortable in Los Angeles with $150 million out of the budget? Are you comfortable with no new academy members? Are you comfortable with no anti-crime unit? Are you comfortable with looting? I, I, right. and, and, you know, make him comment. 
And until this, until this step, until this race narrows, Biden does not have to leave the basement. But if you do that while still acknowledging social and racial, social healing and racial unrest and saying, we got to attack this better, man, look at the progress we made, but look at how much more we can do. But law enforcement, don't make them villains. This is coming his way. Also, when you take down Robert E. Lee, tough issue. When you take down Ulysses S. Grant, Abraham Lincoln, spray paint the hands of George Washington, you know, throwing abolitionists into the river in Wisconsin, I think you got an issue. And uh, as Bill McGurn wrote in the uh, he, he was trying to do that today in the Wall Street Journal in his column. Uh, and he is a he is a smart Republican politico. He knows to, that what Trump should be doing is keeping the pressure on Biden. Uh, that he should say, uh, you know, I have concerns about so on and so forth, and we're doing it. I want to hear what Joe Biden has to say and push Biden, push Biden, push Biden. Because there's a lot of stuff Joe Biden doesn't want to talk about on this issue. From the statues and getting into these uh, bright line distinctions between what a mob does and what a city council does and forcing these discussions. How about reparations? How about athletes kneeling? How about a host of other issues that we could think of that Joe Biden doesn't have to talk about? Because Trump is essentially negotiating with himself instead of saying, OK, I'm here. Where are you? I want to hear from my uh, challenger. Where are you on this? What do you say about that? And Trump can do it for about three minutes and then a squirrel runs by and he's off on the next thing, zigzagging all over the place. Message discipline, if you, especially if you're an incumbent, message discipline is crucial. People have to know the things that you're talking about. You have to make a consistent case for your reelection and why you deserve another term. And only once you do that, can you apply pressure to your opponent? And so far, Biden faces essentially no pressure. Biden is, li- uh, Biden is living in the space that every politician would love to, which is every time it seems like he's going to have to engage and he's going to have to put that wedge in between the suburban voters that he's courting and the Democratic base and talk about something that's ouchy. We have a white power tweet or something from Trump, and everybody can go galloping off in that direction. And you've always told me, the one thing I always remember is don't tweet out white power slogans. And I remember the Chris Dyerwald School of Politics. Not always a positive. You fought me on that, but I, you came around, and I was glad. Uh, because, <laughs> hey, for the record, I didn't fight him on that. That's no, all no, I need. It's a joke. These, these are joking. These, <laughs> it's a, he just said Irish power, and that was different. <laughs> a potato-fueled frenzy. That's all we need. Chris Steyerwald <laughs> and Brian Kilmeade <laughs> joke about this, and then you'll never do the show again. Um, well, that'll be for other reasons. Don't worry. About right. It. Uh, that'll be. We'll, we'll, we'll be disciplined for some other reason. We don't know. Um, Chris, uh, uh, final thought. How much jeopardy is the Senate in for Republicans? Well, that's what the president uh, uh, in, in substantial part. Uh, if he can become just even a little bit more disciplined, I would think the, the Republicans fall a lot. Uh, but it, that's got to happen pretty soon. We're a long way away, but the clock is running. He is Chris Dyerwalt. Uh, nobody, anyone who claims to be Chris Dyerwalt and who is not Chris Dyerwalt, they're lying because this is Chris Dyerwalt. Chris, thanks so that. much. Can, yeah, you please, can you please watch me on Outnumbered? I'll be the man in the middle. His mouth to your ears. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is More to Know. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, I, we, get all, we go all over this uh, coronavirus. We're always talking about the, uh, the civic unrest. But we're not talking enough about what else is happening. And there's a lot. We begin. More to Know. Sad news. Carl Reiner, 98 years old, has just passed away in Beverly Hills. What a full life he had. Reiner was a producer, a director, also an actor. Grammy Award winner. Won nine Emmys over seven decades. Never stopped being funny. Remember Carl? He, remember he was best for uh, known on the, the Dick Van Dyke show where he created and starred in it. Uh, Carl played a role in the very... Uh, temperamental comedian Alan Brady, who terrorized Dick Van Dyke's character and the other writers on the show. Awesome job. And, of course, uh, his son is uh, Meathead, Rob Reiner. Next, Democratic Party begins demonizing, drumroll please, Mount Rushmore. Yes. Why? Because the president's going there. Everyone loved Mount Rushmore until the president said he'd love to be there. The Democratic Party began attacking Mount Rushmore on Monday after the president announced he's going to go there. He says he's glorifying white supremacy. They actually put that on Twitter and quickly deleted it. Here's the deleted re- remark after an hour. Trump has disrespected Native communities time and time again. He's attempted to limit their voting rights, block critical pandemic relief. Now he's holding a rally glorifying white supremacy on Mount Rushmore. Are you an idiot? These are our presidents. White supremacists? Listen to Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota, where it's located. Our history is incredibly important to this country and what we stand for. It's what makes America special. You know, our leaders have flaws, absolutely. But when we focus on the flaws, we miss the virtues and the lessons that they can teach us. Uh, So I think possibly uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate America's birthday, uh, to join together and have some unity and really focus on opportunity in America. And perhaps that's what they don't want to talk about. Uh, that is uh, absolutely true. And by the way, there is a big uh, tribute to um, Native American leaders, American Indian leaders, however you politically correct, say that down below. And that city is dedicated to all cultures. Face it, 2020, it's a brilliant accomplishment. If you go there, you will not regret a minute of it. The museum is almost as impressive as the statues. What they went through to build it and had, what they had to overcome when there was a crack in the mountain, I believe it was a Jefferson, and they had to redo it in the mountain. It's stunning what they were able to accomplish on a very limited budget. You'll see it. And also, if you want to watch it, Fox Nation, I go behind the scenes at Mount Rushmore. I actually had a chance to sit on George Washington's head. Next. Barstool founder Dave Portnoy proves to be among those resilient enough to push back on cancel culture. They're trying to get rid of him about stuff he said earlier. Like they're going after Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon and uh, and Kevin Hart, but not Dave Portnoy. Listen to how he's fighting back. Cancel culture finally coming after the Barstool. The cancel culture wants to go back blog by blog, video by video, day by day, Week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, yeah, you're going to find a few jokes that miss the mark. But times change. Sensitivities change. Cultures change. And I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to bend the knee. I don't, Dave. Uh, this guy's extremely talented. A great story. Worked around the clock to build Barstool, what it is today. And uh, Dave Portnoy will not be cowed. And he's got such a fervent fan base, almost like Howard Stern. I look for him to withstand this. Next. 
NBA will paint Black Lives Matter on courts uh, for the season restart. I think it's everything's in Orlando, right? So Walt Disney has to sign off on that. Uh, the slogan will appear in both uh, sidelines. ESPN reported that yesterday. The WNBA say WNBA is considering doing the same exact thing. They're also considering the NBA of allowing players to wear personalized social justice messages on their jersey, like I Can't Breathe or just Black Lives Matter or the name of somebody we don't know, but they'll be able to do it. And John Wayne's son is responding to a resolution to get his dad's name off the Orange County Airport. He says, I believe, because of what he said in 1971, he says, those who knew him know he is not a racist. He was kind to everybody. There was no bigotry in him. There was no no bias against race, creeds, or colors. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.